This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, we had a uh, no-no in Major League Baseball last night. Some high-level drama in the ninth inning in the Windy City. We'll look at last night's action in high school hoops. There was an NBA game last night. A marquee matchup, if you will. Top seed in the Eastern Conference on the line. And nobody played. (laughs) Well, I shouldn't say nobody. But a lot of the names that you would expect to play did not play. And we'll get more into that about the NBA, just kind of what they've been doing the past couple years. The whole load management thing. Resting players. I mean, last night's game, it should have been a great game. It should have been one of those games, and it probably was, that that you circle on the calendar when the season started. And it was a dud. Because you just don't have the biggest names in the game playing. And I think that's a problem. Uh, with the NBA, and we'll get into that, and so much more uh, coming up here in the next two hours of today's show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work day. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. We got two Twitter pages. Hit me up on either one. The show page at ESPN Morning Rush. Uh, my page at Rush Tony C. Our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. All those pages are there, open to the public. Like them, follow them. And anytime you feel froggy, take the leap. Drop me a line. Got to want to ask a question. Want me to address something on on the show? You got a comment or an opinion on anything we talk about? It's it's right there for you. Also, taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo, 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app, we upload every show, every day, minus commercials, just for you. So you can go back and check out and listen to anything that you may have missed. Just in case you are, you know, you have to get out of the car or you drive out of signal range, which hopefully, as we talked about yesterday, Uh, That might be resolved here in the next couple of weeks. I hope, I am cautiously hopeful, cautiously optimistic that we'll finally be able to stream the show online as we make some uh, major changes to this show and this station coming up here and like I said, in probably about two, two and a half weeks, three weeks, whatever. All right, uh, let's kick off today's shows. We kick off every show with a rock around the region. I want to rock. 
And we start with boys high school basketball where Frankfurt wrapped up the regular season with a 62-45 loss at Berkeley Springs. Elsewhere, Anthony Smith scored 26 points to lead Martinsburg over Musselman 74-65. It was Moorfield 66, Pocahontas County 38, and it was Jefferson over Washington 68-47. In girls' action, the seasons for Preston and Elkins came to an end with no action. Both, unfortunately, had to forfeit their section playoff games uh, due to COVID issues within either their programs uh, or their schools. In Major League Baseball, the Pirates welcomed the former pitcher Joe Musgrove back to town last night, and they were not very good hosts. And a swing and a deep fly ball out to right. Gregory Polanco homers off of Joe Musgrove. Here's the pitch. And a swing and a liner, base hit for Colin Moran. Frazier trots in to score. The Pirates have more. They lead 2-0. Joe blocked the calls in the Pirates radio network. Musgrove didn't pitch terribly, but he lasted just four innings because his pitch count was high. The Bucks beat the Padres 5-1. Gregory Polanco 2-for-2 with two walks. Adam Frazier had three hits, including two doubles for Pittsburgh. Elsewhere, Joe Ross uh, pitched six scoreless innings as the Nationals blanked the Cardinals 6-0 in St. Louis. Ross allowed just four hits, struck out five, and walked one. Ryan Zimmerman hit a two-run blast for the Nats. And for the second time in their four-game series, the Mariners and Orioles were postponed by rain in Baltimore They will make it up today as part of a doubleheader starting at uh, 12.35. Hold on one second. i got to fix something here. I'm trying to type and talk at the same time. In the NBA, Russell Westbrook recorded his sixth straight double-double. I'm sorry, triple-double. Triple-double. 25 points, 11 assists, 15 rebounds. As the Wizards beat the Kings 123-111 in Sacramento, Bradley Beal had 31 points for Washington, which wrapped up its a six-game road trip with a 4-2 and two record. Westbrook has now had a streak of at least six straight triple-doubles four times. So he has, he's had four streaks in his career of at least six straight triple-doubles, right? In the history of the NBA... There's only been three. You follow me on that one? In the entire history of the NBA, there's only been three streaks of at least six straight triple-doubles. Russell Westbrook has done it four times all by himself. In the NHL, the Capitals assigned forward Connor Sherry to a two-year, $3 million extension yesterday. Uh, Sherry is fourth on the Caps with 11 goals, including 10 goals at even strength. Now, Sherry and his new contract, along with the rest of the Capitals, will host Buffalo tonight. The Penguins, they return from a four-day break to host their cross-state rival, the Philadelphia Flyers. And that is your Rock Around the Region, brought to you by the Caporelli Group. So, uh, this is the part of the show where I break down what happened in last night's game. 
uh, the Frankfurt game because, again, I'm on the bench. I'm right there. I see what happens. And when you look at last night's game, it was definitely a contrast in styles. Berkeley Springs, not a real big team at all. But they're quick. They're athletic. I, I swear all their players were six feet tall. Right? Like, they were all the same player. <laughs> they were all built the same. They're all the same size. Frankfurt is not. Uh, we are a much bigger team. So, of course, we try to take advantage of that size down low, uh, play a slower, more physical game. And last night, the smaller, quicker style uh, won. As I mentioned in the Rock Around the Region, Berkeley uh, wins the game last night uh, 62-45. to And what Berkeley does is real simple. They just spread you out. They just spread you out. They, they go five out most of the time. And for those of you who uh, don't know hoops, uh, five out is when you put five players around the perimeter, around the three-point line, with little to no post presence whatsoever. And they just do a lot of movement, a lot of passing, moving, passing, cutting, passing, screening, running the baseline. Very, very active on the offensive end. And, and, and defensively as well. Very aggressive defensively. And when you got a team like that, it's a, it's a tough matchup. Because they got kids who can shoot the ball. The Barkley kid is a dead-eye shooter. And he's not the only one. They have some good three-point shooters on that team. So if you try to play him zone, they'll drain threes in your face all night long. If you try to play him man-to-man, all of a sudden you got your big guys playing 15 feet away from the basket, which is where you don't want them to be. So teams like that, they're very difficult to defend. And they're still... You know, uh, size does matter in basketball. You still want big guys. You still want, you know, big players down low, rebound, you know, post presence, whether it be high post or low post. But when you don't have that, you do what Berkeley Springs does. And it puts a lot of pressure on the big guys from the other team defensively. And when you look at the game, look, Berkeley was only up by four at the half. It was 24-20. Could have been a lot worse. Because they were off in that first half. I mean, they had some open looks that didn't drop. Frankfurt, lucky to be, you know, they, they're only down four. Could have been 10-12. And the thing that Berkeley does is they do a great job of getting the ball up the floor after a miss. They send a guard long on a shot, and that's where the speed just absolutely uh, killed Frankfurt last night. I can't tell you how many long lead passes they made, uh, either for a layup or for a foul. And fouls, there was a great disparity at the free throw line, which if you've ever coached or played at Berkeley Springs, that should come as no surprise to anybody. Berkeley was 21 of 30 from the foul line. Frankfurt was three for, I can't remember, it was either 10 or 11. I'm not quite sure what that final uh, number was. So when you get outscored 21-3 to at the line, 
that's hard to overcome. And a lot of that was really Berkeley Springs just getting to the paint off the dribble, attacking the basket, and drawing the fouls. And then making the foul shots. Again, 21 to 30. And look, once we got back to the school last night, I didn't stick around. I wasn't feeling that great. I think that second COVID shot finally kicked in a little bit last night, like late last night, because I got my second shot on Tuesday. Felt good for most of yesterday. My arm was sore. That was about it. Other than that, I felt no real, you know, ill effects. But then right around the fourth quarter last night, my head started pounding really bad. Maybe it was just because of the game. I don't don't know. But then even on the bus ride home, I, I just, I hit a wall and got really tired really quick. And I just, I didn't want to stick around last night. I was in no mood to talk about the game. So I just, I bailed. And usually, I look at the scorebook and take pictures of it because I know I have to report on the game here the next day. And I like to give you, you know, who scored what, who did what. But I I forgot to do that last night. But I can tell you this. uh, Brady Whitaker and Jake Clark, the two uh, senior guards for Frankfurt, they had really good games. And so did uh, Luke Robinette, who just a sophomore. He got a ton of minutes last night. He made the best of them. He he had to be close to scoring in double figures. I'd bet the house that he did, that he was around uh, 10 or 12 points. He had, again, just a sophomore. uh, But, again, because Berkeley was uh, smaller and quicker, uh, putting Luke in there, he was able to, you know, defend a little better because he's, I mean, he's not small, but he's not as big as our big guys. Does that make sense? But Luke had a really good game last night. And it was just one of those games, you know, when <laughs> you, you think you're close. Again, it was only a four-point game at the half. You think you're close. But then you look at the scoreboard, and, and you have no idea how in the hell it got away from you. And that's what it felt like last night. You think you're close, and then boom, you're down by double digits. And that's and, and I'd have to go back and, and watch the film to figure out exactly what happened. But if I had to guess, I'd say the game got away from Frankfurt when Berkeley uh, started beating a path to the free throw line in the second half. So that wraps up the regular season for Frankfurt. Berkeley is scheduled to play Moorfield uh, tomorrow. I'm not sure if that game's going to happen or not. And so next week, the playoffs start for both teams. Uh, Berkeley is playing at Trinity for their uh, AAA section playoff game Tuesday. Frankfurt won't play again until next Friday and in t- more than a week off against either Petersburg or Moorfield uh, in their AA uh, section championship game. Petersburg and Moorfield playing uh, on Tuesday. And then that section title game uh, on the quote unquote uh, neutral floor. <laughs> Ah, and the more we talk about that, the more it chaps my rear end. Because tonight, I'm sorry, no, today's Thursday, tomorrow night, the Frankfurt girls are playing the Petersburg girls for their section championship at the quote-unquote neutral site, which will be on Moorfield's court. 
which means Petersburg has about a 10-mile drive. Frankfurt has a 50-mile drive. I have no I, I have no problem with neutral site games. Okay? If you want to play neutral site, whatever. I still think the team with the best record, the higher seed, should host the games. That's why, that's why you play. Right? That's why you keep records. That's why you keep win and to my understanding, back in the day, like the section title games and the region title games were all neutral site. We're all neutral court. Which I don't understand that. I mean, you play the regular season. The regular season has to count for something. The regular season has to matter. And the way it matters is you fight for first place in your section or region so you can host some playoff games. If you're not going to do that, then don't keep track of records. <laughs> Just when it comes to playoff time, pull names out of a hat and go play on a neutral court. It's got to matter for something. And I think this whole neutral site thing wouldn't bother me as much if it was truly a neutral site. Because it's not. Petersburg playing on Moorfield's court against Frankfurt is not a neutral site. If they play that game at Kaiser... That's a neutral site. Even if they played at Hampshire, I understand Hampshire is closer to Frankfurt than it is Petersburg or Moorfield. But that would be even more of a neutral site than the way it's set up tomorrow and next Friday. And I think that's what bothers me the most. It's not a true neutral site. Neutral site is you find a place right in the middle between both schools. Now, I understand in West Virginia, most schools are about a million miles apart, so it's sometimes that's hard to do. But if they wanted to play at a neutral site this year, which, again, is beyond me why that happened, the game should have been played at Kaiser. But nothing you can do about it now. It's crying over spilled milk, and I, I'm sure I'll bring it up 30 more times again. Point being, coming full circle now, uh, Frankfurt boys are done until next Friday when they will play either Petersburg at Moorfield or Moorfield at Petersburg. Anyway. All right, uh, time for a break. We've got some news and uh, weather coming up. And then a little Major League Baseball had some history last night in the Windy City. Stick around for that. 102.1 FM. AM 1230 Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. All right, so before last night, uh, there had been 19 no-hitters pitched in White Sox history. The three most notable ones, good old Charlie Robertson back in 1922, Mark Burley in 2009, and Philip Humber in 2012. Those three pitched perfect games. Last night in Chicago, a White Sox pitcher Carlos Rodon 
was trying to join the club perfecto. He was going against the Indians, and through eight innings, it was 24 up and 24 down. So in the ninth inning, with the White Sox holding a hefty lead, uh, first batter for Cleveland was Josh Naylor. Sets up an 0-2. Little topper toward first. Tough play. Abreu to the bag. Out! Out at first! Abreu ended up basically sliding feet first into the bag, and he beat Naylor. It looked like he was going to beat Abreu, but he pulled his left hand back and didn't get it there in time. Whew, that was close. The call on ESPN 1000, it was close. Because Naylor slid in head first. And it, it was a great play by Abreu. I mean, it was a slow chopper. He had to come and get it. And then pretty much did a split <laughs> to get his toe on the bag. Now, you ever see a first baseman stretch for a throw from across the infield? That's what Abreu did, except he stretched towards the bag and and barely got the out, so the perfect game, right, still intact. Uh, Rodon, two outs away from being perfect. He's ahead 0-2 on Roberto Perez, the catcher for Cleveland. And then we got one of those, oh, no, I can't believe that just happened moments. Another 0-2. That's low. Almost hit him. Did Perez get hit? He did. He got clipped on the foot, and he heads to first. That was an 0-2 pitch, and uh, Rodon chatting with him as he heads down to first base. Yep. That slider that he likes to bury, usually off of the back foot, and it was off of his foot. So that is the Indians' first base runner of the night. He hit him with a pitch to spoil the perfect game. He was chatting with Perez, uh, Rodon was, because he asked him, did the pitch hit you? He's, he's wanted to be sure, and it did. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I could not believe it. If, if Perez wore a shoe one size smaller, the pitch probably would have missed, it would have missed him. It was that close. Hit him on the toe, the big toenail. And what really cheesed me off at the moment was that Perez never moved. He never moved, never tried to get out of the way. He just stood there and and took it off his foot. Now, White Sox catcher Zach Collins, who we'll hear from in just a bit, he kind of gave Perez a pass. He said that Perez didn't move because he was totally fooled by the pitch, which was a slider down and in. And because he was fooled, he just he didn't have time to react. Come on. I'm, I don't, I'm not sure I buy that. I mean, I'm sitting there, I'm mad. Little C is mad because we wanted to see History. We wanted to see the perfect game. And for it to be ruined like that on a slider off the big toenail when the batter made no attempt to get out of the way, that that stunk. 
that was just, it was one of those deflating moments. And you can hear in the clip the fans booing in the background because you don't want it to end like that. And it reminded me of, I think it was, was it six years ago, 2015. Does that sound about right? Remember when uh, Jose Tabata of the Pirates ruined Max Scherzer's perfect game in the ninth inning? Remember that? When he had his elbow over the plate and he let a pitch hit him? And I, I guarantee you Nats fans remember that. And I guarantee you remember how mad you were when that happened. That's how I felt last night. Because he didn't even try to get out of the way. And I just wonder if that pitch had happened in the first inning or in a situation where there was a you know not a perfect game on the line, if Perez would have moved. Or if the pitch really fooled him that much. I mean, he didn't even flinch. And the ball bounced off his foot. And Perez said after the game that he didn't even know that Rodon had a perfect game at that point. He said he knew it had a no-hitter, but not a perfect game. And Perez said, and this is a quote, it's hard, man. I'm not going to stand there and get hit, especially on a night like tonight when it's cold, but that's just part of the game, end quote. So the perfecto is gone, hit batter. Rodon still, after all that dust settles, still has a chance for the no-hitter. Runner on first, one out, and Yu Chang at the dish. One, two, called strike three. Chang is out on strikes. Two down, ninth inning. And Rodon got a gift there because the ball was inside. But he got the the strike three call. And then we got two outs. Jordan Luplo, former Pirate, at the plate. The crowd of just over 7,000. On their feet. Another 3-2. Ground ball to third. Moncada up with it. Throw to first. It's a no-hitter. Carlos Rodon has no-hit the Cleveland Indians. The 20th no-hitter in Sox history. Carlos Rodon, a guy who has battled injuries most of his career, who didn't even have a job last winter. Because the White Sox declined to offer him a contract for this season. They signed him as a free agent afterwards. He gets the no-hitter. The 20th in White Sox history. Which, by the way, this was actually kind of surprising to me. That's the second most for any team in Major League history. Like, when you think White Sox, do you think great pitching? I mean, seriously. Do you... Do you put them in the upper echelon of, of uh, a pitching factory? They have 20 no-hitters. Only the Dodgers, with 23, have thrown more no-hitters in the history of Major League Baseball. After his no-no, Rodon jumped on a sports center with a Scott Van Pelt, uh, starting off with uh, losing uh, that perfect game. Yeah, man, it's just one of those things. It wasn't meant to be. That was the pitch I wanted, slider back foot. I literally hit him on the top of the back foot. He just turned the page, and luckily we got the no-hitter done, and the rest is history, I guess. I've had the good fortune doing this for a while to talk to people after nights like this, and I suppose it's always the standard question, but it's what I'm always interested in. At what point, Carlos, do you know, you know, I got some stuff, man. Like, when, when does it dawn on you? Uh, it was a good night, cold night. 
cold night hitters don't like to hit, I guess. Yeah, uh, right? I think it was about 40 degrees or something. <laughs> yeah, that was in my favor. But I think about the seventh inning, I had Ramirez. Uh, I think it was – I had him 3-0 count. I got the strike on the 3-0 count. 3-1 fastball situation where he knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Everybody knew it was coming. And he put a great swing on it, ball hit to left, and we make that play. Um, and then the Abreu play, I mean, the, that play freaked me out more than I was happy because Abreu <laughs> went slided in. Our MVP slided in with that knee freaking me out, but hats off to him. That was a hell of a play as well. I'm going to go Cliff's notes here on the offseason and a one-year deal and working with Ethan Katz, and there's a lot of little, lot, lot of moving pieces, a lot of layers here. But I guess what I, I want to know is, as you are working with him, is, is it closer to, like, just tweaking minor things? Is it is it more of kind of a rebuild of an approach? Like, ha, ha, what what kind of credit does he get to, to the work that we're seeing from you? So it started with the lower half, just him be, being able to dissect me. We first got on a, on a FaceTime uh, in the off season, and he instantly told me, he was like, man, that lower half, clean that lower half up. And it started with that the, the velocity, the core velocity belt during spring training, and that kind of that led me to cleaner lower half, made things flow more, more consistent, and here I am. The one thing that I will give uh, Rodon credit for, I mean, obviously aside from the no-hitter, is his ability to lose that perfect game like that, to hit a batter, and then be able to regather, regroup, and still get the next two outs for the no-hitter. Like, I don't know if I could have done that. If I'm pitching a perfect game, which obviously I, I, I've never had the skill to do. But if I'm pitching a perfect game and I lose it in the ninth inning like that, if I hit a batter who didn't try to move away from the pitch, I don't know if I could have kept it together enough to get the next two outs. That's just me. Because a lot of times, as I mentioned before, I'm a bit emotionally unstable. But anyway. But I give him the ultimate credit for being able to just bring it back in Get recentered, refocused, get those next two outs, and get the twentieth no hitter uh, in White Sox history. My wife, by the way, had the line of the night. Uh, she comes into the living room. My son and I are watching uh, the last inning. One out. There's one out in the ninth, I do believe. And she says, "Who's pitching?" And I say, "Carlos Rodon." And she says, "Rodon." And I say, "Yes, Rodon." And she says, uh, shouldn't he be out fighting Godzilla right now? <laughs> That's what it sounded like. <laughs> Godzilla versus Rodon. When we come back, the man who caught Rodon's no-hitter, Zach Collins. Uh, we'll hear from him next. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230 Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Look at the story online right now, and this is a story that probably only interests me, so I'll, I'll probably just read it when I'm done here. Pretty high-profile high school football coach in Pennsylvania just got fired last night. It's a shocking Eric uh, Kasparowitz, coach at Pine Richland High School. I and mean, we're talking about one of the top programs in the entire state of Pennsylvania. He won four uh, Western Pennsylvania titles and two state championships. And he pretty much put 
like national attention to Pine Richland. And he was notified last night uh, via email that he's not coming back. And all of his assistants also received an email. Is there a more gutless way? Maybe a text message. Is there a more gutless way to fire somebody than an email or a text? Seriously. I got I to I gotta look. He was 85 and 18 at the school. And not quite sure why he got fired. I mean, this is, okay, again, I'll, I'll read this later. But I, I just saw the headline uh, during the break, and I was like, wow, that's, that's big time. That's big time. Uh, we were talking last segment about uh, Carlos Rodon uh, pitching the 20th uh, no-hitter in Chicago White Sox history. Just one hit batter away from a perfect game. And we heard from him last segment talking to SVP. Now we're going to hear from uh, the man who caught the no-hitter, Zach, I forgot his last name, Collins. (laughs) Zach Collins, who was on with uh, Freddie and Fitzsimmons last night. It was pretty incredible. Um, Obviously, he had his best stuff tonight. Um, We were right on the same page uh, the whole game, and uh, it's something that every catcher dreams of is to catch a no-hitter. What's that like? You just did it. Well, how's it feel? Um, I, I don't even know like what just happened the last like four hours of my life, but uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, I'm still trying to trying to think back to what, what actually just happened, but uh, it was pretty amazing. And obviously, uh, we celebrated after the game, and and that's uh, something that I'll never forget. How hard is it to not think about a no hitter and stay locked in the way you guys were locked in tonight? Uh, it's impossible. We were, I was thinking about it the whole time. <laughs> um, I was, uh, we, we had a perfect game until what, what was uh, Roberto Perez got hit by that pitch. But mm-hmm. um, I, was, I was just thinking about that the whole time after like the sixth inning. Just, I was nervous as can be, but it was pretty cool, pretty cool to do. And uh, obviously last year watching Giolitos and uh, watching McCann catch that, it, it helped me a little bit. I, I got to experience that one last year, and, and obviously this year was behind the plate, so it was pretty cool. Roberto Perez really didn't get hit by a pitch. His right back toe got hit by a pitch. (laughs) Zach, what do you do? Reverse the roles. You're Perez. Are you moving that right foot knowing a perfect game's on the line, or are you leaving it right there going, hey, dude, you hit me, sorry? You know, I I honestly think that uh, he got hit by the pitch because he was fooled by it. He probably didn't notice that it was a slider uh, inside. It's pretty sharp tonight. Um, so he just didn't move. Um, I don't think that he was trying to get hit by the pitch or whatever, but uh, I honestly think the pitch fooled him so much that, that he wasn't able to move in time and, and uh, just got him. What are the conversations like when you have a pitcher that is pitching like this and you guys are on the same page? What are the conversations like in the dugout, Zach? <laughs> Everyone wants to know this, but uh, there actually is no conversation. Um, this is my first one that I've ever caught, but – uh, we did not say a word to each other in between innings from the first inning on. And it's a little bit different, but uh, it's how it was tonight. And I wasn't talking to anybody in the, in the uh, dugout. I was literally just sitting in there by myself. Carlos was standing there by himself. Everyone's trying to not speak to either one of us. Um, <laughs> and you could tell there's, there's, that, uh, there's something in the air that, that everybody knows there, and, and uh, it's pretty crazy. Um, I don't know. We just we were both locked in. Everything was working. Our defense played great behind us, and everything was uh, 
was almost perfect. Yeah, almost perfect. Just that one hit batter. But that was Zach Collins, the man who caught uh, Rodon's no-no last night. Uh, one more cut, I do believe, uh, from <laughs> from last night's game. White Sox manager Tony Larusa apparently, after Rodon's performance, uh, has to find a new place to work. For the game, I told him, you know, we, if we pitch a shot, he could have my office. And uh, I thought of the excitement. He forgot when he walked by. He said, just clear out. I'm in there. I said, well, I see, but you, you got a no-hitter. I'm, that kind of uh, kills the bet. The last thing I heard was Rob was moving my things into his locker, so I'm glad to give it up. That's funny. And no, uh, Mr. LaRusa, just because he pitched no-hitter doesn't kill the bet. It's still a shutout. So move your stuff. Maybe he could, maybe he could uh, you know. I don't know. I remember, remember when people were killing uh, the White Sox for hiring LaRusa? Just, just saying. Just throwing it out there. So Rodon throws a no-hitter just four days after Joe Musgrove throws one for San Diego. It was the first one in Padres history. It is the earliest as far as the date goes, the calendar date. It is the earliest that two no-hitters have ever been thrown uh, in Major League history. How about that? And, you know, Musgrove... Uh, coming off that no-hitter, he was in, he returned to Pittsburgh last night. Of course, the Pirates trading him to San Diego uh, in the offseason. And it's one of those weird things. He didn't pitch terribly, Musgrove, but he didn't he only pitched four innings. I mean, you look at the, you look at his line from last night. Uh four innings pitched, one earned run, just four hits. He struck out six. But he threw 81 pitches. And the, Pir- the Pirates worked him over those four. And plus, he-, he threw 112 in the no-hitter. So you piggyback that with 81 last night, he had to be gassed. Well, that's almost, what, 200 pitches in uh, two outings? So he didn't pitch terribly, but he also didn't get to the fifth inning. Tyler Anderson for the Bucks last night. Not too bad. Five in the third innings, just like Musgrove. One run on four hits. And the Pirates, surprisingly, they have taken a two of the first three games of that four-game series from the Padres. I mean, who would have thought, right? Who would have thought the Pirates, who won the season opener and then lost six straight games, they have a chance Today, it's an afternoon game, right? Early afternoon game today. They have a chance to take three of four from probably the second-best team in the National League. If you would have told me that that was going to happen like before this week started, I would have called you crazy. But that, as they say, is why they play the game. Uh, speaking of playing the games, nobody played in the <laughs> Nets-Sixers game last night, at least for the Nets. And we'll talk about that uh, when we come back for hour number two. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Hour number two. 
brought to you by the same people who brought to our number one, Thomas Cumberland, with locations at Bedford, Johnstown, and of course, uh, Cumberland. Several ways to get involved on the show. Hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush, at Rush Tony C. That's the letter C, not the word C. Our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Taking your calls on the Rush Line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free uh, Podbean app where we upload every show every day, minus commercials. Go back and check out any show we've done, uh, except for one earlier this week because of technical issues. If you missed the first hour of the show, uh, I, I broke down once again uh, Frankfurt basketball games, what I do, <laughs> because we played last night at Berkeley Springs. We also uh, broke down, heard, listened to the ninth inning calls of Carlos Rodon's uh, no-hitter last night. The 20th no-hitter in White Sox history. Just one hit batter shy of a perfect game. He hit Roberto, uh, Roberto Perez in the foot with a slider with one out in the ninth, or else he would have had a perfect game. Crazy, right? We talked about that. We heard from Rudon. We heard from uh, the catcher, uh, Zach Collins. So all of that in the first hour. If you missed it, check it out again on our podcast page. I want to get into I really want to – I said I wasn't going to do it, but the more I read into this, the more it just fascinates me. This story about the football coach getting fired up in Pittsburgh, high school coach. And what this looks like, once again, and we've seen it before, is a lot of people getting involved that have no business getting involved. So we'll talk about this uh, after we rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we're going to start with high school basketball, boys high school basketball, where Frankfurt wrapped up the regular season last night with a 62-45 to loss at Berkeley Springs. Elsewhere, Anthony Smith scored 26 points to lead Martinsburg over Musselman, 74-65. It was Moorfield, 66, Pocahontas County, 38. It was Jefferson over Washington, 68-47. In girls' action, the seasons for Preston and Elkins came to an end with no action. Unfortunately, both had to forfeit their section playoff games uh, due to COVID issues within either their programs or their schools. In Major League Baseball, the Pirates welcomed the former pitcher Joe Musgrove back to town last night, and they were not very good hosts. And a swing and a deep fly ball out to right. Gregory Polanco homers off of Joe Musgrove. Here's the pitch. And a swing and a liner. Base hit for Colin Moran. Frazier trots in to score. The Pirates... Have more. They lead 2-0. Joe blocked the calls from the Pirates radio network that uh, Moran hit did not come off of uh, Musgrove, by the way. Uh, Musgrove lasted just four innings as the Bucks beat the Padres 5-1. Uh, Gregory Polanco went 2-2 two for two with two walks. Adam Frazier had three hits, including two doubles for Pittsburgh. Elsewhere, Joe Ross pitched six scoreless innings as the Nationals blanked the Cardinals 6-0 in St. Louis, Ross allowed just four hits, struck out five, and walked one. Ryan Zimmerman hit a two-run blast 
for the Nats. And for the second time in their four-game series, the Mariners and Orioles were postponed by rain in Baltimore. Uh, They will make it up today as part of a doubleheader starting at 12.35. In the NBA, Russell Westbrook recorded his sixth straight triple-double, 25 points, 11 assists, 15 rebounds, as the Wizards beat the Kings 123-111 in Sacramento. Bradley Beal had 31 points for Washington, which ended its six-game road trip with a record of 4-2. In the NHL, the Capitals signed forward Connor Sherry to a two-year, $3 million extension yesterday. Sherry is fourth on the team with 11 goals, including 10 goals at even strength. Sherry and his new contract and the rest of the Capitals will host Buffalo tonight. The Penguins return from a four-day layoff to host Philadelphia. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. Uh, One more thing about Russell Westbrook, and I mentioned this last hour. It's incredible, really. I said he had his sixth straight triple-double, right? It is the fourth time in his career that he has had a streak of at least six straight triple-doubles. The rest of the NBA, in the history of the association, it's been done three times. So, (laughs) outside of Russell Westbrook, in the history of the NBA, there have only been three streaks of at least six straight triple-doubles. He's done it four times by himself. That's, That's pretty incredible. All right, so I understand it's not from around here, but this story just fascinates me. And it just it came across uh, my timeline last hour. And I just wanted I want to tell you the story here. And and you you be the judge. You be the judge of what's going down. And I'm reading this story from Mike White in the uh, Pittsburgh Post Gazette, okay? And I hope I'm pronouncing this guy's last name. I think it's Eric Kasparowitz, head football coach at Pine Richland up in the Pittsburgh area. A guy who took Pine Richland and turned it into an absolute football powerhouse, okay? Uh, he won four Western Pennsylvania titles, WPIL titles, and two state championships. Right? They won a state title five months ago. Last night, he's fired. He was informed in an email, which again, <laughs> is there any more gutless way to fire somebody than send him an email? Maybe, maybe a text message, I guess. Apparently, the uh, Pine Richland administration informed Kasparowitz that his contract will not be renewed and his job will be opened. All of his assistants also received an email, again, gutless, notifying them that they have been let go. So the entire Pine Richland football staff let go five months after winning their second state championship. And as I'm reading the story, I'm reading things on Twitter. This is absolutely just shook. Not just people at Pine Richland, but like all of Western Pennsylvania sports. 
I mean, here's a dude, one of the most successful coaches in the WPIL in any sport. He, he's been, he was there for eight seasons, had a record of 85 and 18. That's an 825 winning percentage. And it's still not clear as to why Kasparowicz and his entire staff was let go. He said he's going to hold off on comment until sometime today. Uh, His assistant said they're going to wait until he says something. But apparently, there there was some kind of investigation going on into some possible hazing incidents. Uh, The Post-Gazette said that uh, Pine Richland School principals had been meeting with current and former players, asking them about the culture of the program and incidents in the locker room. And here's where things get a little bit dicey. Because in this story by Mike White, again, it's on the uh, Post-Gazette website, uh, Cole Spencer, who is the star quarterback for Pine Richland, said he met twice with Pine Richland administrators and was asked about certain incidents. And he said they were asking about stuff from six, seven years ago. And he called the investigation by the principals a quote-unquote joke. Spencer says, yeah, two best friends might have been goofing around sometimes in the locker room, but come on. There was never any hazing or anything over the line that I knew of. Spencer says, this is just crazy. The guy comes in, wins two state titles and WPIALs. Why would you fire? This is a player now. Why would you fire this guy? He is, this is a quote, he is the best thing that ever happened to that program and also for that high school. That school has been put on the map nationally because of what he did in football. For the administration to hate him so much to fire him is unbelievable, end quote. Another kid, Jordan Crawford, a running back, defensive back for Pine Richland, played on the state title team four years ago. He said he was interviewed by this hazing, about this hazing. And he says, quote, they tried to put the word hazing on stupid stuff. Honestly, they asked me if there was ever any towel whipping going on in the locker room. (laughs) He said, I laughed. I told them, yeah, there was. When my best friend would walk by me sometimes in the locker room, I would hit him with my towel. You want to call that hazing? What a joke. And the more I read this, the more I see it, this is, this is a witch hunt if there ever was one. This is a situation that if you believe the players, if you believe the people who are outraged over this, there are people getting involved that have no business getting involved. And I'm talking about the administration at Pine Richland. And probably some parents as well. Uh, The Twitter uh, page, WPIAL Insider, 
This is a tweet from about 12 hours ago. It says, in an all-time bonehead move, Pine Richland has fired Eric Kasparowitz. Maybe the dumbest move of all time in the WPIAL. This has shocked everybody up in that area up there in southwest PA. Colin Dunlap, who is co-host of uh, the Fan Morning Show in Pittsburgh, I've mentioned him on the show several times. He tweeted out, again, about 12 hours ago, once this news broke. He says in the last 15 minutes, four parents of Pine Richland football players reached out to him independently. And these are some of the quotes from those parents to Colin Dunlap. Quote-unquote, effing joke. Quote-unquote, total embarrassment. Our administration is out to get him. Quote-unquote, this was a witch hunt. Quote-unquote, he was the victim of a bleeping witch hunt. Players devastated. And those were just some of the comments. Uh, Dunlap also said, that he was told this morning that mul- by multiple people that there is a, an assistant superintendent of secondary education and curriculum, that's a long title, who may have spearheaded the removal of Kasparowitz. And that this is truly a case of the academics not liking the high profile of athletics. Again, this is a situation on the surface, now it may some may some more may come out. You don't know. Maybe there was hazing going on. Maybe there was uh, a bad culture in that locker room. So far, nobody's come out and said it. There was also I'm trying to find uh, one tweet in particular from uh, from Colin. He said there was something curious about the firing of Kasparowitz uh, in our current climate, our, our current social climate. When there is any type of hazing or bullying at such a level, generally local police are notified. Especially, and you got to understand about Pine Richland, it's, it's a very well-to-do, very well-off district. He says police were in contact, not once. And Oh, here it is. Colin says, uh, he tweeted this about 11 hours ago. After speaking with multiple parents who have sons who currently play football for Pine Richland, he says, I can safely say this. The overwhelming feeling is Eric Kasparowitz got railroaded by a drunk with power superintendent named Brian Miller. He says the long and short of it, is what he was told by multiple Pine Richland football parents. Superintendent Brian Miller didn't like the atmosphere where football coach Eric Kasparowitz was higher profile, more recognizable than he was. That this superintendent Brian Miller was bothered by the fact that Kasparowitz's status was higher than his. Isn't this isn't this crazy? Like this kind of this kind of stuff fascinates me because it's just so like this is stuff you write movies about. This is like some espionage stuff. This is like some backdoor back alley dealing stuff 
where people get together behind closed doors and and just railroad somebody who, by all accounts that I've seen so far, has done nothing but great things for Pine Richland and that football program and the kids who play for Pine Richland. Dunlap, this is funny. Uh, Marty Smith uh, from ESPN. He tweeted something out last night. It has nothing to do with the situation. It is just a random tweet. And it says, uh, mediocre people don't like high achievers. And high achievers don't like mediocre people. That's a quote from Nick Saban. <laughs> and Colin Dunlap retweeted that saying, attention, Pine Richland Superintendent Brian Miller. This has all the markings. And again, I'm, I, I told you that story because I want you to pass your own judgment. From what I've told you, and you can go online and look at it all. You can read all the stories, all the tweets, all the new everything, and make your own judgment. But does this not sound to you like an absolute witch hunt? Like there are some administrators, and I'm going to take a wild leap and say some parents involved that wanted this dude out because maybe he was just bigger than Pine Richland. I, I don't know. Or maybe, you know, daddy and mommy's little boy didn't get any playing time. And again, Pine Richland, a very uh, well-to-do area. You make the call. I know where I'm <laughs> I know where I, I, I fall on this. Now, if the story comes out later after this uh, so-called investigation, that there was some, you know, terrible hazing going on, that there was this awful, you know, locker room culture where kids were being severely bullied. If, if that comes out, then I'll then I'll take a step back. I'll take a step back, and I, you know, I, I have uh, my, the right to change my mind. But that just doesn't seem like it's the case here. That This seems like a case of administrators at Pine Richland getting involved where they simply shouldn't be involved. I see one tweet here. <laughs> it's actually pretty good. He says, this is just further proof that the best high school coaching job in America is at an orphanage because there's no parents or anything involved. And I don't even know if this is a parent deal. It, it certainly seems like it's a Pine Richland uh, administrated, administrative deal. But there are just, as of this morning or last night, just a ton of people up in arms about this head coach getting fired at Pine Richland. This stuff. I, I mean, I don't, I don't like this. I don't like the fact that he got fired. But man, when this stuff happens, you know, you just know it. Just, it has this feeling of just some shady. Backdoor goings on, right? It just has this feeling of people who sit in these high seats just don't like the fact that his seat was getting higher because he was a successful high school football bro- or a coach. Situation where you just wish people would just stay out of it. Just stay out of it. Like, leave it alone. 
trying to find uh, Mark Madden, who is an, also a uh, uh, radio personality in Pittsburgh. He's been there forever. His tweet uh, from last night. He says, Pine Richland was a bunch of soft, rich, suburban, candy-ass punks before Eric Kasparowicz became football coach. He says, Kasper put PR on the map. I bet he got, this is just his opinion. He says, I bet he got fired because somebody's kid didn't get what daddy wanted. I've seen it happen too many times. I'm definitely, now look, I have a connection there. I do. I'm from the area. Certainly not from Pine Richland area. We didn't have that kind of money. But I'm from Southwest PA, so so I definitely, it it piques my interest perhaps more than yours. But I think if you follow sports, in particular high school sports, whether it be this area or wherever, those kind of stories have to interest you. Because, again, on the surface, it's a situation where this guy comes in, turns that program around, and again, winning is not everything. Winning doesn't absolve you of anything. You know, you could be a state title winning whatever, but if it's a poor culture, I'm not saying that because he won state titles and Whippeal titles that, you know, he's clean as a whistle. I'm not saying that at all. But by all accounts so far, the kids love him. The parents of the players, they love him. He's done wonders for that school, and you just have to wonder why. Why did he and his entire coaching staff get fired last night after a meeting amongst the Pine Richland administrators via email, which I still can't get over. <laughs> I still can't get over. This guy, and again, I'll say it on the surface, looks like he has done nothing but good things for that football program and the kids who play in that football program. And he's fired unceremoniously via email last night. (laughs) Got to keep an eye on it. Got to keep an eye on that story. I guarantee. All right, stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. We were talking about things that we do that we think are normal. But other people think, you know, might be a little bit weird. Because I said the other day, I had gone out. Actually, it was after I got my second COVID shot. And I I stopped and got some lunch, some fast food. And I said that uh, I won't use napkins from fast food places. Like, you know, they take a handful of napkins, put them in the bag. I, I won't use those. Now, I will use the one from Sheets. I don't know what the difference is, but my, napkins and fast food, I, I just won't, I won't use them. And I also said that, because I, I love chips and cheese, right, that I'll take uh, the broken tortilla chips from the bottom of a bag, uh, put them in a bowl, pour cheese over them, and then eat them out of the bowl with a spoon, like cereal. And I've been told that's weird. I mean, it still tastes the same. It's just, it may look odd. So I put I put the question out on Twitter and Facebook yesterday. And uh, 
James said that he thought putting ketchup on hot dogs was normal until people told him that it was weird. I don't know if that's weird. I know a lot of people who put ketchup on their dogs. Uh, it's just not. It's my not my preference. I you know I will eat mustard on it and that's it and maybe some onions. And so I put the question out. Paul on Facebook said he puts peanut butter and jelly on his pancakes instead of syrup. Which I'll admit, as a kid, I did that all the time. All the time. I don't do that anymore. But so I don't know if that's weird. Now, I know a lot of my family members, they put peanut butter and syrup on their pancakes, which is actually pretty good. But I don't see many people putting peanut butter and jelly on their pancakes anymore. Nick uh, checked in on Twitter. And he says that he puts toppings on his spaghetti. All right. He puts some, uh, you know, some some parmigiana, some powdered parmigiana, ranch, and shredded cheddar. And he says it's got to be very specific in that order on his spaghetti. Parmigiana, ranch, and shredded cheddar. And to complement the spaghetti, a tall, cold glass of milk. As an Italian, uh, I want to find Nick and beat him about the head and shoulders. What? (laughs) You're putting ranch on spaghetti. The Parmigiana, of course. Of course. (laughs) But you're putting ranch what? The powdered ranch? Ranch dressing? Ranch should be nowhere near spaghetti unless you're putting it on your salad. And even then, I'm not quite sure. And milk? Milk with spaghetti. (laughs) Now, see, that one, I understand. That one, if somebody looked at Nick and said, that's kind of weird, I get that. Nicole on Facebook says she has to cover her pizza in lemon juice. Now, again, as an Italian, I have to say, what? Now, maybe it's delicious. Maybe it's just something where, hey, don't knock it until you try it. Never in my life have I ever thought to myself, you know what would be good on pizza? Lemon juice. So those are some of the things that these guys do and girls that they think is normal, that tastes good to them, that other people might think is weird. Milk and ranch with spaghetti. Maybe I'll try it. Then again, maybe I won't. All right, uh, (laughs) you can still check in. If you have something that you do, doesn't have to be food-related, but something that you do that you feel is normal, but you've been told it's kind of weird, give me a call. 301-759-2628 or hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush or on Facebook uh, at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Uh, we had a big matchup in the NBA last night. Top two seeds in the East uh, going at it. As the 76ers hosted the Nets, both teams were tied 
for first place in the East heading into that game. And look, you had to figure when the season started that these two teams were were they're contend for you know the East crown, and that it'll be one of the marquee matchups of the season, right? You got Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons for the Sixers, uh, the big three: KD, Kyrie, James Harden for the Nets. And not so much. Now Simmons and Embiid played, and, and so did Kyrie, but uh, oh, that was it. A game that could determine the number one seed in the East kind of had a preseason feel to it because they were just guys not playing. Sixers went up big. They tried to rest Embiid and Simmons late, but they had to come back in after the Nets bench got them back into the game. Ultimately, Sixers held on. They won the game uh, 123-117. to uh, Mark Kessischer and P.J. Carlissimo had the call uh, on ESPN Radio. The Philadelphia 76ers win an all-important tiebreaker against the Brooklyn Nets, take over sole possession of first in the East with the win over the Sixers. But, P.J., they looked like they were on their way to a comfortable win up 22 in the fourth quarter. The Nets' second unit got it down to three, and Philly had to hang on. Well, a 22-point lead, and you got Kyrie sitting on the bench for Brooklyn with 37 points, and Joel Embiid and... Ben Simmons and uh, Danny Green sitting on the Philadelphia bench. You think the game was virtually over. Well, guess what? It wasn't. The second team turned it completely around. Kessie, they had it down to three points, and they had twice in a row Ben Simmons, who's not a good free-throw shooter on the free-throw line. He made three out of four at a critical time. They weathered the storm, but this did not go the way that Doc Rivers would have liked it. They won the game with offense, which is unusual. They have both offense and defense, but you would think defense would be the difference in the game. It was not tonight. Yeah, as Brooklyn was getting closer, there was a critical turnover late in the game, and that turned out to be one of the big stories tonight was the turnovers and Philly taking advantage. Yeah, Brooklyn just didn't take care of the ball at all. That's been a Philly problem all year, but tonight it was a Brooklyn problem. 16 turnovers, 28 points off those turnovers for Philadelphia. That and their three-point shooting. Philadelphia made 13 three-pointers out of 28, just under 50%, while Brooklyn was only four for 21. Again, uh, with KD, James Harden, among others, sitting on the bench, that's certainly going to cut into their three-point shooting total. And you got to be so impressed by Joel Embiid, a scoring average right about 30 points a game, 39 more points, and 13 rebounds in this victory. And DeAndre Jordan did a very good job making him work all night. Uh, dominant player, no question. Uh, MVP candidate Joel Embiid, including Kesty was the only block of the game, but it was a huge block late when it was still a two-possession game. Joel Embiid came up with a good block and enough free throws for Philly to survive because that's what they did. They barely survived at home. Sixers a win for the sixth time in their last eight games. Best record in the East at 38-17 and 17 as the Sixers knock off the under Underman Nets 123 to 117. And the Underman Nets thing is kind of the underlying theme from this game. And we, we've seen this going on in the NBA for a few years now. And it feels like it started with Kawhi Leonard and then it just picked up steam with other players from there. You know, players missing a certain amount of games, coaches holding them out to make sure they're ready for the playoffs, a whole load management thing. 
which has really cost NBA fans, not that the NBA cares about their fans, uh, the opportunity on several occasions a chance to see the best players in the league you know, play. And, of course, last night was no different. But uh, Tim Legler says that there's more to this than just the usual load management for the superstars. Well, look, the compressed schedule, the shorter offseason, the injuries, I think the erring on the side of caution plays into this for the part of teams. There's no denying that it's not really the same product that we've seen this season that you'd hope for. And, I, and you saw, saw a statistic today. When you look at the All-Stars from this season, 2021, at the end of this year, they're going to have missed a higher percentage of games. That collection of players has the second most in the history of the league. So you know what it is. You're turning on to watch marquee matchups, and a lot of these guys aren't playing. So unfortunately, it's tough for the fans. It's tough for the networks. You know, we, we pitch these games, and it's not really what you want to see. But I think the injuries have been legitimate. This has been a lot less about load management than legitimate injuries. I just think the teams maybe are keeping guys out longer when they do have injuries. And so these things are dragging on. What I'm hoping for is a sensational postseason because we had some activity at the trading deadline that's made it more interesting. Bottom line is these guys do want to win. So when you finally get to that point, when these things really matter, down the stretch of the regular season and certainly into these playoff series, I think you're going to see everybody out there for the most part. And hopefully the postseason can salvage what has been really an unfulfilling regular season because there are so many star players that have not played, particularly in the marquee matchup. Haven't we reached the stretch of the regular season? I mean, what does he mean, like, when these things really matter? Like, how did last night not matter? They're playing for first place in the conference with only 17 games left to play. Don't you need all hands on deck in a game like that? And I honestly think that's why you see some fans turning away from the NBA. Like, why bother watching a game when you're not going to see the best players play night in and night out? I mean, why? What's the point? Nobody tunes in to see the Nets' second team. Stephen A. Smith, uh, he ain't too happy about it either. You see what I'm saying? This is that BS that I'm talking about. What we've been looking forward to all day, y'all. What we'll be talking about this morning, the Brooklyn Nets versus the Philadelphia 76ers. Ben Simmons going to be there. Joel Embiid going to be there. But Kevin Durant, one night after dropping 30, suddenly he ain't playing tonight. LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin just got to Brooklyn. Just got to Brooklyn. All of a sudden, they ain't going to be available tonight. We know James Harden is injured because that brother don't miss games. And oh, by the way, Kyrie's not on the injured list, so he might be available tonight, but we don't know. Nationally televised game, two top teams in the Eastern Conference, and KD, James Harden, possibly Kyrie is going with Blake and LaMarcus Aldridge joining them. See what I'm saying? See, this that bull, that BS. In a league that really built itself and exploded because the way they promoted their superstars, I, this is, is ridiculous, right? The NBA, probably better than any other professional league, promotes its superstars. And when those superstars aren't playing, again, night in and night out, I'm tell, it hurts the product. So Sixers have a one-game lead on the Nets with, again, as I said, 17 to play. Bucks are three and a half back. The Hawks are eight back, so you can just forget about them making a push uh, for the top seed, basically it's a three-team race right now. Out west, uh, the Jazz 
are still the top team in the conference, a game and a half ahead of Phoenix. Clippers are three back, Nuggets six back, and the Lakers, without AD and LeBron, they have fallen seven uh, games off the pace. And, of course, the Nuggets lost Jamal Murray for the season with a torn ACL, so who knows how long they'll be able to stay uh, in the top five uh, of the Western Conference. All right, Uh, time for one final break, and then we'll come back to wrap things up here on the Morning Rush. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. I was talking earlier this hour about the uh, Pine Richland situation in Pittsburgh. Uh, the head football coach, Eric Kasperowitz, fired his entire staff fired last night via email. Apparently, the Pine Richland administration looking into uh, some maybe hazing and bullying stuff from six, seven years ago, conducting an investigation. Uh, Kasperowitz releasing a statement not too long ago. Says, quote, I was informed yesterday that my coaching contract will not be renewed. I am disappointed by this decision and want to unequivocally state that no bullying or hazing took place in the Pine Richland football program under my watch. I never condoned any bullying or hazing. If I became aware of any such claims, I met with the individuals and immediately put an end to it. I addressed and resolved these infrequent events over my eight-year tenure internally within the team. The players and coaches were made aware of my zero tolerance for this type of behavior. Certainly, if bullying or hazing had occurred under my watch, I would have followed proper reporting procedures as I have always done throughout my professional career. I want to thank my supporters who know the safety and well-being of students is and will always be my utmost priority, end quote. So there is that statement from Eric Kasparowitz, the now former uh, head football coach at Pine Richland up in Pittsburgh. And again, something tells me that uh, (laughs) we have not heard the end of that story. Still sounds like a witch hunt to me, I'm sorry. All right, uh, before we get out of here, let's uh, take a look at the player who delivered last night. Brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. There is no question, it's this guy right here. Another 3-2, ground ball to third. Moncada up with it, throw to first. It's a no-hitter. Carlos Rodon has no-hit the Cleveland Indians. The 20th no-hitter in Sox history. The call on ESPN 1000. Carlos Rodon tossing the 20th no-hitter in White Sox history. Uh, shutting down the Indians 8-0. He struck out 7. And the only thing that kept him from a perfect game was a hit batter with one out in the ninth inning. So uh, for his efforts, for his no-hitter, Carlos Rodon, our player who delivered, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. Uh, Tonight, here on Cumberland's ESPN Radio, we have uh, Capitals Hockey coming your way. The Caps hosting the lowly uh, Buffalo Sabres. The Sabres uh, announcing, I think it was yesterday or the day before, 
that their best player, Jack Eichel, he's done for the season with a neck injury. Now, like anything worse could happen to that team. They lose their best player for the rest of the year. So Caps host the Sabres tonight, pregame 645, a puck drop at 7 o'clock. Tomorrow's show, we'll go over uh, some section title games in girls' high school hoops uh, going on tonight. Also, uh, my, main, my main man, Joe Shuda, uh, will have another Rush Friday feature. And we're talking about some running. Uh, Joe is a very avid runner. And his guest, uh, regarded as one of the greatest marathoners ever, uh, Bill Rogers, a former American runner, Olympian, and a record holder in the marathon. He won the Boston Marathon four times including three straight from 1978 to 1980. And uh, he won the New York City Marathon as well. So, again, that's tomorrow's uh, Rush Friday feature with my main man, Joe Shuda, uh, interviewing Bill Rogers. A little running action. Speaking of running action, a track starts tonight. Got to head to Kaiser this evening because my boy runs track uh, for Frankfurt. So track season underway, baseball season underway. Got this major overlap in sports now, which is really weird. You got basketball still going on, wrestling still going on. But now we got baseball, tennis, and track all at the same time. It's I would not want to be an athletic director this season, this year, because it has been absolutely uh, bonkers. It's not very often you have, what do we have, uh, six sports going on at one time? Is that right? Six? I don't even know. It's crazy. Anyway. All right. Uh, we are done. Show's over. Stick around. Uh, final hour of KJZ coming up next. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you as always. Enjoy the rest of your day. Be safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning for another funky Friday, 7 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C. And I am done. Ah, I see you.